Well, there you have it. Hey, we are in a series um, called Peaks and Valleys, and uh, we're, we're talking about the story of Elijah here, and uh, man, this, um, I'm emotional today. I'm emotional often, I know. The problem is, as, I, as I'm looking at the word of the Lord, and I'm studying this, and I'm asking God to speak to you, he often starts speaking to me. And when God starts dealing with me, it, it makes me emotional um, because I begin to realize things that he wants to change within me and things that are out of order or out of alignment in my life. And uh, man, it, anyways, series of Elijah, peaks and valleys. And this moment that I'm about to share with you is the story of the encounter at Mount Carmel uh, this awesome death match. Uh, this is the most epic fight in scripture. Uh, the, the Lord Jehovah versus little Baal, you know, and so this, this is, uh, this is awesome. This is a mountaintop moment in the midst of a valley-like season. And so sometimes you can have a moment that is so significant in your life that you can forever look back on and go, that moment right there was epic. And uh, this is Elijah's probably most glorious moment. Last week we talked about the, all the provision that the Lord provided for, for Elijah in the midst of crazy seasons of, of difficulty. And I just wanna make sure that you know that if you're in a difficult season, don't quit. Because anointing is, is perfected, it is um, tested, it is, done, it, is, it is found true in the midst of trial. And this is the case of Elijah through the midst of him waiting on God and waiting on God and trusting in the word of the Lord for his life, he found one of the greatest anointings in all of scripture. And so we're going to take you to this awesome death match. I'm going to open you up in scripture. Uh, this is our, our, our part two series. Would you all mind standing to your feet today for the reading of God's word? Oh, this is so rad. All right, we're in 1 Kings chapter 18. And I'm going to start off in verse 16. And I'm going to read a little bit and recap and see where this goes. So Obadiah went to tell Ahab that Elijah had come. And Eli Ahab went out to meet Elijah, and when Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, So it is really you. You're the troublemaker of Israel. I have made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, for you and your family are the troublemakers, and you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. Now summon all of Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of, of Asherah who, support it, who, who are supported by, by Jezebel. And when Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel, then Elijah stood in front of them and said, how much longer will you waver? Hobbling between two opinions. If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people, the people were 
completely silent. Jesus, would you help? Amen. Y'all can have a seat. I'm going to come back to this moment right here. Man, I just feel the anointing here today. I'm very thankful. Uh, if you're new to our church, um, the hope of our church is to make disciples of Jesus, meaning we don't want to look more like America's church. We really just want to look like Jesus. So the things that we see as we read about the life of Christ, he is the goal, not anything else. And so, yeah. I'm going to keep reading just for a second so you understand this, what the standoff really was and what it looked like here in, in 1 Kings. Verse 22, then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring me two bulls. The prophets of Baal may, have cho may choose whichever one that they wish and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of, of their altar without setting fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on wood on the altar and, but not set it on fire. And will call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people agreed. Do you understand what's going on here? This is a death match like you've never seen before. And I got to tell you, he's still the God that answers by fire. I don't know what you know or what you don't know, but let me just set fire to any bad theology God still does miracles. There is nothing that he can't do. There's nothing that he won't do to display his glory. He loves you. He wants to move in your life. And he wants you to know there is only one God. And there, there is no one like him. There is no one close to him. There is no one that compares. Whew. This is one man taking on 850, this is awesome. I'm like shaking right now. I don't even know what to say. Um, this is awesome. I don't know. It's maybe been like six years since I've preached on this story. So I'm, I'm really excited about the opportunity to do it today. Before I can explain to you what's happening and why this is important for our church to recognize that this story is important, I, I want to just rewind the story a little bit and tell you a little history of how they got to this moment that have, that's escalated in such a terrible way. Um, Ahab is the seventh king of Israel. The Lord didn't want Israel to have a king. He said, this is going to be bad for you. They had Saul. And that went bad pretty quick. Uh, and then they had David. And David became uh, a man after God's own heart. And he declared, man, hey, we're all going to serve the Lord. We're going to worship the Lord. We're going to do great things. And he did. And David was a warrior. He was a warrior and he was a lover. And so he loved the Lord 
and he had crazy passion to go out and pursue. And so he made Israel a great nation again and went and sought wealth and wealth collected wealth and decided that he was going to build a temple for the Lord, a place for God to dwell so all the nations of the world can come and see the glory of the Lord. It's awesome. The problem is David opened a door and uh, he sinned. And that sin was awful. Another day, he had his son Solomon, and Solomon was the one that actually got to see the temple built. And Solomon built the temple and allowed a place for the glory of God, and he dedicated it for the king. And, but Solomon, because of the sin of his father, ended up with great lusts and passions. I want to make sure that we're not careful because our sin, while you don't see its ripple effect, will damage the generations that come after us. And so Solomon was the height of all of Israel. Wealth, uh, they were prospering in every way. It sounds a lot like America. Built in, 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 on Christian principles, America has been, just like Israel was built on the principles of the Lord, it's so important. When we follow the Lord, you're set to prosper. It, it just it happens because you're obeying the Lord. He's going to lead you into... St- <clears throat> but like the people of Israel, America, we prosper... And then we turn our heads. Solomon had 300 wives. So many other gods was brought into Israel. And he was just the third king. And the fourth king and the fifth king and the sixth king. And now the seventh king has come. And they have completely forsaken the Lord. And prophet after prophet after prophet, the Lord is trying to get the attention of Israel. Saying, hey guys... There's only one Lord. We've got to come back to the Lord. But we're prospering so much that it feels like everything is good. This is where America is right now. We believe that the Lord is God, but we've erected so many other idols. We have so many other things that we actually worship. We worship the Lord and everything else that is good in our life. I'm not trying to like... Be poetic. That's reality for Israel. Uh, this is reality for America. So I'm going to take you in Scripture to who Ahab is. Ahab, uh, um, in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 30 to 33, but Ahab, the son of, of, of Omri, did what was evil in the Lord's sight, even more than any of the kings before him, as though it were not enough to follow the sinful example of Jeroboam. He married Jezebel, the daughter of King Ithbel and the, the son of, of Sidion, Sidians, I said it right earlier, and he began to bow down and worship Baal. First Ahab built a temple and an altar for Baal in Samaria, and he set up an Asher pole. He did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than any of the other kings of, of Israel before him. So here we are, the Israel is the Lord's people, seven generations uh, uh, in, in, into, into having kings. And we said, like, if you put your faith in a man, 
You will be led astray. Like people will fail you. Your pastor will fail you. Humans will fail. Your small group leader will fail. They all just people. You have to keep your eyes on, on, there's only one dude, you know what I mean, that is constantly faithful. You got to know that. That is his name, faithful and true. And, uh, and so anyways, I got to stay focused here. Um, what did Ahab do wrong? Well, one of the first things that he had done wrong was the Lord commanded when they destroyed Jericho that there should never, they should never rebuild Jericho. Ahab set out to rebuild Jericho and build temples there and idols there, and the Lord hated that. And so now here we have Ahab and his wife who are building other temples, and what they're doing is uh, Jezebel is seeking and she's killing prophets of the Lord everywhere in an attempt to try to... Um, uh, 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 woo the Israelites over to, to become Baal worshipers in an attempt to convert uh, I- Israelites to, to become Baal worshipers. You understand? And so she's striking fear on people so that they don't speak up and then building temples and poles and all these other things so that people say, this is the God that we worship as they're all prospering. Let me take you to the other guy. In one match, we have uh, one side we have uh, Ahab, and the other side we have Elijah. I don't know what you know about Elijah, but Elijah uh, is the number one prophet spoken about in the New Testament. So he wasn't just a big deal in this moment. He became uh, huge. One, Elijah was one of two men that never died. That's pretty awesome. Dude was raptured. We're going to get to that story in three more weeks. It's pretty cool. Uh, and so he, he never tasted death. Elisha was one of the two uh, prophets that came and visited Jesus as he was at Mount Transfiguration, right? He's praying, God, give me strength. And Moses and Elijah shows up and they begin ministering to him. And Peter says, hey, is the, man, Jesus, this is pretty cool. You want us to build like altars for these two other guys? And Jesus is like, man, you're not getting it. I'm here. You know what I mean? And uh, so, but Elijah gets to come and minister. In the Old Testament, they declared again and again that Elijah, that another prophet would come in the spirit of Elijah. What was the spirit of Elijah? Not an actual Elijah, but someone who had the same passion and tenacity and intensity that would come and declare there is only one God. This is a big deal to our God. Why? Because he, does, he will have no other gods before him. And we are living in a culture in a day and an age that is telling everyone that everything is okay. And when we get into this mindset, and there is no sin. There is nothing that's bad. Everything is good and everything is acceptable. And I'm telling you, if the Holy Spirit's in your life, he'll let you know that's not true. So when you sin... He lets you know, and your stomach turns, and you want to throw up, and everything, like, it, that ain't good, Jack. Or Stacy, or, or Antonio, or whatever, I, I don't know. I just like Jack. I just, uh, I was always, never mind, I'll, that's another time, I'll tell you, tell, you, tell you about that another day. I'm way over time. All right, I'm not over time, I'm on time. Elisha. The scripture says, though, while he was awesome, it's important that you know that the book of James 
wants you to understand something very true about James, uh, about Elijah. Elijah was as human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. Why is that important? Because James is trying to let you know that Elijah had this crazy faith and did all these things, but he's just as human as you and I. Because if we're not careful, we can do what Peter did and put Elijah up on a pedestal. And while they are people, forerunners that have gone before us and great examples of the faith, it's important that you understand there's only one that we're trying to be like, and that's Jesus. Does that make sense? Elijah's awesome, but he's just as human as you and I. And so if he's human and can, and can believe God for crazy, awesome, powerful things, why not us? I think we live in a day and age where people need to know truth. So, in one corner we have this guy who has definitely 100% angered the Lord. And what we find in Elijah is that his anointing grew out of obedience for the Lord through long seasons of suckiness. We talked about it last, last week. No food, no shelter, no water, just sitting by the brook Trusting on God, being fed leftovers by ravens. First of all, backwash, right? Gross. Um, second of all, like, can I get Applebee's or like a, a Starbucks or like something? And like, after a long period of waiting, many of us begin to question. And Elijah just stayed obedient. I know many of you are in seasons of difficulty. And if you're not careful, you can focus on the difficulty rather than the solution. Our eyes are on him. And the only thing that matters is that we obey what the Lord is telling us to do. It's not about your feelings. It's not about your comfort. It's not about what it... It's good preaching right there. Okay, so let me give you the backdrop then. So that was the history. This is what's setting the stage in this awesome bout we're about to have. I don't actually have notes, so I don't know why I'm looking at them, but I'm looking for something to distract myself. None of this really makes sense. Um, okay, we're going to go with, we're going to read this verse, 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. This is the first time that Elijah and Ahab met. And we read this last week. Now, Elijah, who was from Tishbe in Galilee, told King Ahab, as surely as the Lord, the Lord God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give word. Now, why that's important is because when we open this passage, remember Ahab came and he saw uh, Elijah. And remember what Ahab said to him? There's the troublemaker. Okay, I'm going to come back to that right now. Just give me one more second. Let me read one more verse. In 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 1 and 2, later on in the third year of the drought, the Lord said to Elijah, go and present yourself to King Ahab and tell him that I will soon send rain. So Elijah went to appear before Ahab. And meanwhile, the famine had become very severe in Samaria. 
So let me break it down to you what a severe drought looks like. You know, they've been having one in California for the last several years. Years. And they have technology that can actually pump water out of the ground and still have crop and still have food and still have, like, rewind it back 4,000 years. None of that technology is going down. So when there's a drought and there's no rain, all of the prosperity of Israel has plummeted. People are losing crops. Animals are dying. People are without water. There is fighting, bickering, theft. Uh, the economy is tanking. And people are turning on themselves. And when these things happen, you know who they blame? The king. So all of these problems are showing up at the king's front door every day. And this guy stole my crop. And this guy stole my animal. And this guy is trying to take my land. And he, hey, saw this. And he knows it's all because this guy, Elijah, came to him and said, till you turn to the Lord, Jack, ain't no water coming to this land. I just need you to know. Let me also help with some bad theology. There's nothing that God won't do to move in your life again. He wants you regardless of the cost. What it took to get me was a whole lot of tragedy. Car accidents, I lost friends. I mean, I almost tasted death more times than I can count. And I just want you to know it's all worth it for my heart to be baptized. So here's Elijah, and here's Ahab, and we see this Ahab saying, look, here comes the troublemaker. Time out. Let me just make sure you know that he probably had merit to call Ahab, or for Ahab to call Elijah the troublemaker. Because all of the trouble that had taken place was caused by Elijah. It's important for you to know that the enemy always uses truth in his accusations. He is the accuser of the brethren. And it's good for him to tell the story to paint Elijah as the bad guy. Isn't that what's happening in our culture today? And they'll use truth to do it. And so it's hard when you're trying to reason with someone who has truth on their side. You, that's not what's going on here. What we need is a move of God. Nothing else. Ain't got no time to reason now, Ahab. I'm not going to try to like explain to you why I think you're wrong and why I'm really a nice guy and what I meant to say was, he doesn't do that. No, no, you're the troublemaker. And you've been, you're not my enemy, you're his enemy. I'm just coming in the name of the Lord, Jack. What you need to know is that you're leading people astray. And what we all need to be doing is worshiping the big guy. I've got goosebumps on steroids right now, and I'm sorry. I love this story. Um, I love this fight. But the problem that Elijah has is when he comes to Ahab and he looks at the people and they get all of the people together and he's really trying to get their attention and he says like, look, how long will you worship two gods? 
How long will you stand between the Lord and all of the other options and think that this is okay? It's not okay. There is only one creator. There is only one whom we will give account in the day of judgment. There is only one that we will bow our knee to. What other opinion matters? This is a terrifying day in the midst of a long valley for Israel. This is a moment, a mountaintop moment. And a mountaintop moment for me is a moment of clarity. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an awakening. It's a moment where I have perspective. In scripture, this is where the Lord meets his people. And I have had many mountaintop experiences. Sometimes it's on the ocean. Sometimes, like, but it's just a moment where I get away and I understand truth. I pray mountaintop experiences for the people of God, but you can't live on the mountaintop. Because you gotta be with people. We don't just live in isolation in Christianity. All right, I, I gotta move. So here's this story, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I encourage you, please, read this story. It's in 1 Kings 18. Why? Because the word of God is better than your pastor. Um, <laughs> thanks, David. You jerk. <laughs> it's true. So here's the war that goes down, and, and uh, I'm just going to um, kind of give you my version of it. Elijah says he's got these 450 prophets of Baal and 400 uh, prophets of Asherah, and he says, hey, man, look, let's, let's do this. You call on your God, I'll call on mine. You guys go first. And they set up this altar, and it's, it's, there, there's been no water. So the wood, I don't know if you ever tried to lit wet firewood, but you know, that's not going down in this situation. I mean, anything, any spark would light this stuff up, and, and he light, you know, stack up the wood and put this bull on there, chop them all up, and you call, and let's see if God answers. Let's see if your God answers, you know? And uh, Elijah He's uh, quite awesome in this passage, and he's quite a jerk as he just makes fun of all the prophets. And he just, hey, guys, I'm waiting, man. We started here at morning time, and it's noon, and where's your God at now? You know, is he on vacation, he says? Is he, he, I love, he says, he must be on a bathroom break. That's what's going on. You probably should yell louder. And they're dancing, and the scripture says they're cutting themselves. And, you know, I, I'm not lying. This is happening in the culture we live in right now. I was reading it this week. This stupid lady that people like idolize in our culture had an affair on her husband and remarried this other idiot, and they're drinking each other's blood. Like, and what happens when people read about this stuff? Megan Fox and this other weirdo. She's she, she, like, they're idiots. And what's bad about it is because we idolize them, it teaches our children that this is somehow good. And this is ancient biblical stuff that is dark, 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 dark stuff. So Elijah begins to call on the Lord. And uh, let me just stop. Why I think this story is, is important is not because it's an awesome story, but because our lives are supposed to look like not comfortable. What in our life needs God to move in our life? Is there anyone in our life that if God didn't show up tomorrow, 
Like, we're just so comfortable. Everything is so daggone easy. The temperature has to be right and everything's got to be perfect. And when I just read scripture, God, he didn't reside in like all of this dwelling of perfection. It was mostly hardship. And we avoid hardship at any cost. What's happening here is Elijah is the only man of God that's facing these bales, but he's not the only man of God alive. Where all the prophets are are hiding in caves. hundred of them hiding. People that know truth aren't using their voice. And I just wonder what happens when people that know what is right don't say that it's wrong. Friends, I'm thankful that we're nice. I really am. But sometimes you have to tell people that things are not good for them. Dangerous. Has consequences. Gonna affect generations kind of consequences. We are so confused as a culture right now. It is unbelievable. I literally, if I can have a conversation with myself two years ago, I would not believe the things that are happening right now. But we are caught up in it and everything is okay. And the people of God are quiet. And this is why Elijah was awesome. Because he wouldn't shut up. And he was willing to put himself in a position where he believed that he is the God who, who will do what he says he will do. I, I, I challenge you to put God to the test in your life. This sounds crazy. Pastor, why would you say something like that? Well, the Lord says, dare me in the area of finances. See if I, if I won't come through. Put me to the test. Listen, in your life, God wants to move in your life. What made Elijah so powerful, though, was that he obeyed God for such a long period of time that he's seen God perform small, minute miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. He was fed by ravens every day. God, I know you're going to come through because here comes another bird. I'm starving, and he's got a T-bone steak. When you see God provide from you in situations that it's not possible, you begin to know that you know that you know that you know he's going to come through. But we don't know how to live our life in such a way that our life needs God to move. And unbelievers need to know that you're living uncomfortable. Listen, church, don't be afraid to share your hardship with unbelievers. I think we get to a point where like, we have to like smile and pretend like everything is so good because we don't want to like tell people of like, well, this is really what's going on. Imagine if Elijah didn't tell people about life at the brook and all the hardship that I had to walk through. And people would just think that everything is rainbows and ponies with the Lord. And so the Lord answers by fire. I wish... I can see what the heck happened. The realist inside me tries to calculate what are the odds of a mediator, you know, like literally just crashing down and like, it'd be awesome, man. I don't, I don't know what fire from heaven looks like. Um, some giant catapult, you know, that like, 
The story's awesome. But it's not designed to be a story. It's designed, like the word of God is designed to bring us to a point that illuminates what's happening in our culture. And culture would say, we used to be a Christian nation. And now we worship anything. The topic moves daily to a new point to distract us from truth. The truth is, we all need to get our prayer lives in order. We all need to get our worship straight. We all need to make sure that there's repentance in our life for sin that we have doled down to make, it, make us feel better about ourselves. Sin is not okay. Not in your pastor's life. And yet, I don't understand where we are culturally because if you knew where I'm at, you would have a problem with sin that you find in me. But you're okay with it in your life. And we hold each other to these weird standards. And I just want you to know the only standard that's real is the one that's it's this standard right here being pressed against you. This standard that's being pressed against me. And the story ends up like awful. Like I don't know if you know, but like the Lord then commands all of these prophets to be murdered. We're going to kill them all. That doesn't sound like the Lord. Uh, It's because the way that we understand Christianity doesn't end with heaven and hell. There are consequences, eternal consequences for not surrendering our life to what we know is true. So it doesn't line up. I don't like that part of it. Let's take that out. Well, I mean, heaven and hell are real. Let's get right. Let's live right. What do you want? I want you to know before you leave. I want you to know that we can't have any other gods before the Lord. Period. Not hobbies. Not anything. If if our hobbies and the things that we're passionate about are our video games and TVs and 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 things, if if we spend more time doing that then we care about, they're idols. It is idol worship. We don't call it that because its name is Samsung and it's, you know, but like it, we, we're setting up Samsung in everyone's house like, and we put them right in the best place of our homes. We don't realize it. We're literally giving the best of our life, the best moments, the more we have the most energy. Here you go. No other gods before me. It's not popular, guys. I'm sorry. I know that there's cooler messages that you're, you can go on and Google today. And like, I just think um, I got to figure out what the Lord wants for your life and for my life and realign ourselves with truth and not all of the other cultural stuff that we have doled down to say it's okay. What's wrong is wrong. And I have things that I don't like that I think is culturally bad. But that's why you have to have a relationship with the word of God and not just your pastor. Because if you only tune into this week's sermon, you're only gonna hear my version of what's bad. When you tune into the word of God, it speaks to you and it realigns your life. This is the foundation of our church, 
of, of our theology, of our belief, of our life. Like this is every, this is the cornerstone right here, man. Please get the word of God in your life. I'm over time. I'm way over time. Sorry. I'm not sorry. Sorry, not sorry. Yeah. Would y'all bow your heads with me real quick? He's the God that answers by fire. Probably a whole different message is coming out in the second service today. But um, I'm terrified at this reality. Um, and I'm mostly terrified by this. I don't know if my life looks like Elijah's, but I can see how God praised Elijah. I could see how God lifted Elijah up. And I don't know if my life screams, this is truth, like Elijah did. And I don't know if my life screams, God will answer by, by fire, like Elijah did. And I don't know if my life has faith like Elijah did. But I know that as I think about the culture of heaven, it valued the culture that Elijah had in his life. And so I pray over us right now that we find out how to love the Lord again, how to obey the Lord again, how to be bold again, how to have courage again, how to have faith again, how, how to repent again. I pray that some of these things become part of the culture and the DNA of this family church. Repentance and boldness and love and passion and obedience in the midst of crazy valleys, awesome mountaintop experiences. Here's what the Lord wanted me to tell you. That it's your life that's supposed to be on the altar and you will experience the fire of God when you lay your life down. 